This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 9th of June 2021. And it looks like, at least so far, Norman, that tomorrow night restrictions will start to ease in Melbourne, which is great news because they've managed to basically figure out there are still some cases coming through, but they are all sort of seem to be linked to the outbreak as they know it. This idea of mystery cases floating around in the community seems like less of a risk than it did before. And also, importantly, they seem to be closing in on the source of the leak of the Delta strain of the virus, which is different to the original original outbreak that's that was sparked out of the hotel quarantine leak in South Australia, this kind of random strain that popped up um, unexpectedly while this blitz was on. What do we know about that? Well, according to um, Alan Chang, the Deputy Chief Health Officer of Victoria, this was a man in hotel quarantine and he tested positive in hotel quarantine and it's the Delta variant. They didn't get the genomic sequence originally. They had to go back and test again. And it turned out to be the same sequence as the family who from West Melbourne and the school that's now it was spreading through the school's been the people have been isolated from the school. And so that's good news. There's that you find out where it's come from. Yet again, a, a leak from hotel quarantine is the supposition yesterday. Today, we might hear more about that. It's unlikely that he was infectious after he came out. He was already showing antibodies. And you know, once you get beyond that peak period, you're producing less virus. So that's good news. Still don't know how it got from that man to the family in West Melbourne, our family went to Jervis Bay, and that's still the issue. So we've got gaps still. We've got gaps from the man in Wallert from South Australia. We've got gap here, but at least we're tying that down, and they might be able to get a, a linked chain of transmission. You know, we've dodged bullets already here. We dodged probably dodged a really big bullet in New South Wales with this virus, and we may have dodged one here. But I think that once they've tracked this down and they've got the, the ends tightened. You don't need several days in a row of zero cases. You just need to know where everybody is and more cases in isolation are getting positive rather than being out in the community turning positive. We keep hearing that the Delta strain is a very infectious form of the virus. It's one of the two Indian variants. The other one is Kappa that we've seen more of in South... In well, there's actually three variants, but yeah, the Kappa and the Delta are the two main ones. That's right. If we don't know exactly every single person with the Delta variant, is that a problem? It could be, but hopefully uh, Victoria being on the alert, large numbers of people getting tested... Uh, and the contact tracers being onto it, they should get a hold of it and get it under control. But you might expect next week, perhaps, some other cases to pop up, which are unrelated to the family in, in West Melbourne, that West Melbourne cluster. That, remain, that remains to be seen, whether the, another cluster pops up. These things really depend on people coming forward. And it's not that you go straight from absolute lockdown to everyone hugging, kissing in the streets again. There's staged restrictions that help keep people distant a little bit longer while uh, if there are other cases of that virus going under the surface while they resolve. Correct. So wearing masks indoors, wearing masks on public transport, that reduces transmission by 60 or 70%. So if you've got people who have not been tested and are asymptomatic and are walking around with the Delta strain caught somehow from this man in hotel quarantine, they're 60 or 70% less likely to spread it. If they've had an immunisation, Astra or Pfizer, even though the first dose does have lower efficacy, it's still some efficacy and that reduces it you know, probably anywhere between 30 and 50%. So just imagine you're wearing a mask and you've had your first dose of vaccine, you're very unlikely to be spreading this virus. We're getting to that sort of stage. 
but there are still a lot of people in Victoria who haven't been vaccinated, and that's the ultimate protection here. So we've heard the authorities talk about upstream and downstream tracing. So these people who maybe were where they caught it from upstream and then the people that they potentially have passed it to downstream. What does the downstream contact tracing look like from this man in the hotel? We know that he arrived in Australia on the 8th of May. What's the downstream contact tracing process like? Long interviews, find out exactly where he's gone. If you can't remember, take him through it. Um, there, you may be able to get location data from his phone. I assume there's all sorts of things, people he met, they, they just really go hard at it to find out where he possibly was every minute of the day over that time and then see it. Now, the problem is that the QR code is a late arrival, you know, a universal QR code that everybody logs into is a late arrival in Victoria. But hopefully the, the, from whatever QR codes they're able to get, that they could trace some sort of degree of contact. And one more thing on that is that if he did pass it in hotel quarantine, it's only going to be a limited number of people. And that's the most likely place. So that's so it, it's to a staff member, a security guard, nurse, something like that, or a person on the same floor. And there's only going to be half a dozen options there, and then you can trace them and see where they've been too. So we know that one of the big weapons that we have against this virus is vaccines, as you said before, Norman, and 335,000 vaccines have been administered in Victoria over the last week. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And it's much more and it's, it's not, you know, but they could do far more if they had the vaccine supply. And at that rate, you just do the calculations of how many weeks it would take to double dose, say, 5 million Victorians. That's going to take a while. So we've got to, get, we've got to do better and they can do better but they need vaccine to do better. You don't wish this on anyone, but hopefully this has been a motivation for people who were perhaps, you know, just not putting it at the top of their to-do list to actually get out and get the job done. Yeah, and there's new information coming out from Germany that the mortality rate really has plummeted to the clotting problem with Astra. And it does turn out that what you're seeing in Australia as they treat it better, it's very, very low chances of coming to serious grief with the Astra vaccine. So that's good and should release a lot of the over 50-year-olds to just get it. And there's increasing information coming out about mixing doses that maybe later on in the year getting a Pfizer dose as a booster may well be better than having two Pfizer doses. So on Pfizer, we had a lot of people emailing into us at coronacast, uh, abc.net.au slash coronacast, if you want to send us a message over the last week or so saying they're finding it really hard to book in for their second dose of Pfizer. We know that it's recommended to be given three weeks apart, which isn't a long interval. And because there's so much demand on the system there at the moment, people were having difficulties getting through the hotline or trying to book that dose in. Uh, We put some questions to the Victorian Health Department. We've also had other emails from people saying that they haven't had any problems at all. So I wonder if it's a little less of a problem across the board or if it's just some people are getting unlucky. Uh, the Victorian government couldn't give us specific information about how to access that, but they did uh, reiterate the point that they have been giving a lot of vaccines out, the most in any jurisdiction in Australia. And, and I think that probably what's happened is, uh, is a time-related thing that as they got their second doses guaranteed by the Commonwealth, they could start sticking in more first doses into people and then they could, with more confidence, put people in for their second doses. So I suspect, even though they're not admitting it, there's probably a bit of a break put on the system until they were sure about the second doses. So Kylie, Adam and Mary have all managed to book in for their second doses calling the hotline or through the person that gave it to them. So um, I guess keep calling if that's you. And despite the valiant effort of public health officials, there still does seem to be a lot of misinformation that's swirling around. We definitely have people writing and asking for advice on how to talk to their friends about particular 
things that just can't that, that seem to be barriers for people. Sylvia is one of them. She's asking, is there any evidence that vaccinated people are shedding the virus in the two to three weeks post-vaccine? Friends are telling Sylvia they don't want to see her uh, until uh, two weeks after her vaccine because they're worried of catching the virus from Sylvia. And I'm hearing this a lot from around the place. And the answer is no, you do not shed the virus for two or three weeks. You do not shed the virus at all because you're not receiving the virus in the vaccine. It's as simple as that. And it doesn't generate a virus infection in your body either. You're simply getting the genetic code for the little spike protein. That's not the virus. It's just a little end, the end of the virus it goes into your bloodstream to stimulate the immune system. And that's it. Can't say it more clearly than that, I think. Tell your friends, Sylvia. And Patricia's sent in a similar question. She's worried, well, her friends are worried that uh, the Pfizer vaccine, because it has genetic code in it, that it's somehow going to affect your genetic code. Yeah, there's no evidence. There's no evidence of that. There's a bit of evidence from COVID-19 that it might affect your DNA, it might get involved with your DNA and have a prolonged effect there. And that may be a source of COVID-19, COVID, long COVID, but not with the um, spike protein. It's something that's external to this, the, the genetics. And we did cover this on the health report and there was, there was an analysis there that even if it got in, it would be just a way of promoting the immune stimulation of the spike protein a bit longer. And there is some evidence that the Astra is a slow burn in terms of the immune response. In a good way. Yeah, 60%, but it slowly builds and actually goes quite deep into the immune memory. So send your friends those uh, those sound bites. Patricia and Sylvia. And if you have a question or a topic that you're having difficulty talking to your friends or family about, let us know. Send us a question at abc.net.au slash coronacast and we'll do our best to help you help them understand. Uh, which brings us to this question from Deborah Norman. Deborah says, given that we need 75 to 80% of the population vaccinated to return to some semblance of normalcy, what happens to the remaining 20% who refuse vaccination? Well, they put themselves at risk. And there's just some time, at some point we're going to have to make that decision. If they've had the opportunity to be immunised and they've refused it, that's on their heads. The one proviso I would say to that is disadvantaged populations. The way we're rolling out the vaccine at the moment probably disadvantages disadvantaged populations because a lot of it's through general practice. And general practice is biased towards suburbs where people can afford to pay for their health care. So we've got to make sure that disadvantaged populations are well covered. I'm not so worried about Aboriginal communities because community-controlled health organisations and Aboriginal communities are really good at immunisation. So I think that'll be okay. It's more disadvantaged groups, non-English-speaking people in the population. But I think that the clear message will, eventually is going to have to be on date X, I'm saying 31st of January, but date X, we're opening up and there'll be huge queues for immunisation in all communities after that. Right, like get on board or... Yeah, yeah. people will know. And, and the key thing here, as in Britain, is while the average may be 75%, 80%, in people over 65, you want it to be 90 95%. So there's very few elderly people who are at risk of dying who are going to die because of this. And you've seen this in our care, Maidstone, three people asymptomatic, at least they haven't fallen sick yet. And still, and it's been a few days. So hopefully that's a sign of the future. Even one dose of the vaccine can help. There's two things with vaccination. One is that you want the most, the highest proportion of the people who are highest at risk protected for their own safety. And the second thing is that you want the highest proportion of the population protected for everyone's safety. And of course, there are always going to be some people who can't get vaccinated, like babies, for example. And the latest data coming through in an unpublished paper is that this, you know, at least the Pfizer vaccine, but it's likely to be happening with Astra, maybe at a lower level, is that they are preventing both asymptomatic and symptomatic infection and reducing the viral load when you do get infected. So 
this herd immunity is a complicated thing, but the bottom line is less likely to transmit. Yeah, it's like you're just turning the volume down. It might not be 100% off, but we're turning it so far down that the virus can't spread easily. Yeah, and if there's no break, add a mask and you're in pretty good shape. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast, but we'll catch you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>